So turn with me to Titus chapter 1. We'll jump right in. It'll be a little shorter service because uh, we are going to meet with uh, staff. And as much as we can, we try and do those meetings on Sundays and Wednesdays, not add more things to people's calendar, which are already busy anyway. I see we get the teens up here. They've always wanted to know what Titus is all about. Tonight they get to find out. So Titus chapter 1. Now, we already read these verses. We're going to reread them because we looked last week uh, at one piece of this, and then we'll look at the second piece tonight. But picking up uh, with verse 5, Titus chapter 1, starting with verse 5, reread. Uh, For this reason, I left you, him being Titus, Paul speaking here, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which has been which he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to both exhort and convict those who contradict. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Wednesday evening. Thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for another day of your grace. Thank you that we are indeed closer to your return. We pray, Lord, that as we await your return, that we will be continuing to be busy, not in busyness, but just, Lord, be busy about your business and your work, doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing it restfully, uh, and Lord, just mindfully of you. We pray that you would just uh, meet with us here tonight, anoint this time, may your presence be here, filling this place, remove all the distractions, Lord, that would come against your word being proclaimed and understood. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray that you would just bless this time and the reading and understanding of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we looked last week at the importance of elders, the scriptural and practical need, and Paul's instruction to Titus to build on the foundation. We talked about that foundation that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then you have the prophets, and then you have the apostles, which Paul speaks of in Ephesians. Uh, And he says, from that, I want you to appoint godly men that are building on that foundation. Now, the purpose was clearly stated to set in order that which was lacking. That's what Paul said. He set in order that which was lacking by placing elders in positions of responsibility and leadership. Now, these chosen men, they were to serve and they were to stabilize the ministry of the church and the gospel there in Crete, Crete island we talked about in the Mediterranean there, 160 mile wide. You know, you go to the uh, east and you hit Lebanon, but as far as we know, looking at the scriptures, nothing has changed 2,000 years later, whether it be in Crete or Chesterfield County or Chicago or anywhere else that starts with a C. Uh, Christ desires that a church his church would grow more mature and under the order that God himself 
designed and ordained. So God hasn't changed the order. He hasn't changed the design. Uh, it, you know, a lot of things don't last, but God's blueprint for the church does last. Amen? A lot of things have changed in 2,000 years ago. There was no smartphones for Titus to kind of get in touch with uh, the elders or potential elders. They had to go traveling city by city by city. But the process of installing this leadership is the same today as it was then. Nothing's changed in that manner. If you're taking notes, we're looking at tonight, Strengthen is Structure Part 2. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, I, or if you weren't here last week, if you were not here last week, I encourage you to check out Part 1, where we examine the order of elders, and tonight we'll look at the office of elders and what was then and still is now required to serve in an elder capacity. So again, if you're taking notes, we'll look tonight at the office of elders. And by way of a brief review, it's clear in Paul's instructions to Titus and throughout the scriptures that the design of God was for godly men to beget godly men. Right? And that's the order of everything uh, in creation, right? Cats get cats, dogs get go dogs, people get people. God wants everything to be fruitful and multiply, and that, that godly men would beget godly men. For godly men to do what? To build up, to train up, to identify, and then appoint other spiritual offspring to continue and multiply the work of God. Now, it's still a work of the Spirit, but he gives us, just like your family, the fact that you might have two kids or four kids or whatever, you, what you have is a work of the Spirit, but you still have a responsibility to identify, build up, strengthen, train up leaders in your own home. Now, as far as godly men beginning godly men and uh, anointing and raising them up, the Lord certainly has used other means... God has stepped outside of things at times in the Scripture, and he certainly can. But the primary, from the time of the apostle till now, the primary direction is that ordained men of God would lay hands on faithful men and then place or appoint them into places of service and leadership. We don't see, we don't see in the scriptures, we don't see in the New Testament, we don't see in the epistles, we don't see in the writings of Paul and the apostles or the other New Testament writers, we don't see search committees uh, that represent a cross-section of the church. We don't see that. I'm not saying that that's wrong, I'm not saying that that, I'm just saying it's not there. It's not there, you won't find it. Again, many committees within denominations and in non-denominational churches uh, have been very prayerful. There's been very godly people. They've done, and many times, great jobs. But the biblical model is therefore to be, there would be mature pastors and mature elders in place that would then, again, beget godly men, and there would be spiritual offspring for the laying on of hands and growing leaders within the body, but also for sending out and planting churches. So Paul would send men out, and Titus would do the same, and then Timothy would do the same. And that continues on to this day. I trust uh, this is good and beneficial for your understanding. And I know 
it's great for our own leadership to review and revisit these things. Now, when the Lord put Titus on my heart, I had no leadership stuff wasn't on my mind. It just put Titus on my heart. So then, okay, Titus it is, and start working on it. And I go, oh, yeah, this stuff's a lot about, you know. I, I mean, I knew it, but you got to go back to it, and you revisit it, and you're like re-highlighting, and you're getting back into it. And say, oh, yeah, I forgot all this stuff is kind of like really, really important stuff. So now we're going back through it again. So it's good for us to review, and it's good for us to revisit things. It's the same reason why Jesus said, I want you to often take of the Lord's Supper. Why? Because you can take for granted the cross. You can take for granted the foundational things. And so we're doing that, going through this book as these foundational things. But as Paul emphasized to Titus, the appointment of elders was fundamental to helping a church to grow and mature. And again, growth and maturity always starts where? At the roots. It's not really seen. It, it, and nobody says, boy, that, that is a beautiful root structure you got there. Nobody comes up to a tree and says, man, I've never... You can't see beneath terra firma. So it, it, God always starts with kind of the unseen realm to begin with. But it's foundational. It's fundamental in helping a church grow and to mature. And then also when, when leadership is put in place, it, it then sp put in place, it then spreads the responsibility. Then uh, you have the workload shouldered among a plurality of leaders. Now, each of these, um, if you're taking notes and you see here, we have um, Paul and Barnabas in, in the book of Acts that we have here in Titus as well. In both cases, uh, you see a pointing taking place. And there in Acts uh, chapter 14, uh, they went to every city and made sure they had appointed elders. So we see that uh, what we're hearing from Paul writing to Titus, is just a continuation of this. This was the practice of, hey, when we get these churches planted, there has to be elders put in place, there has to be leadership put in place. And as far as appointing goes, uh, you, I'm not going to read the Greek word there, but you can see it. Uh, we've got the fact that appointing uh, is to set one over something. To, it's really just saying, hey, this individual is going to have oversight and is going to be watching over these things and caring for these matters. And um, very important that, again, you have to have mature, godly leadership to identify potential mature, godly leadership. I mean, without a Moses, there's not a Joshua, right? Without an Elijah, there's not an Elisha. Without a Paul, there's not a Timothy. So that's how... God works. But then they would see that and they would say, all right, these are men that are faithful. They love the Lord. They're already growing. They already have a hunger and thirst for the word or for growth. And so now we want to lay hands and appoint and say, we want you to watch over, have spiritual oversight uh, within a community of believers. But I'd like to take a couple of minutes um, and go over elder roles. And we'll uh, look at the scripture on this. And we'll also take a look um, at, at the very end. Uh, we'll, I'll add one other. Deacons, I'm not going to really speak to that tonight, but I do have it in the list. But I want to go through uh, these elder roles. And the first um, is pastor. Now, as I mentioned last week, all pastors 
are elders, but not all elders are pastors. Make sense? Everyone that's a pastor is an elder, but not everyone that's an elder is a pastor. Now, all elders should be apt to teach. Now, I think people get hung up on this sometimes a little too much. Uh, someone could come into being an elder and never really teach from a pulpit and be a, a really godly use of the Lord elder and never really kind of teach from kind of public setting and still be a really important elder within a body. Because apt to teach does not necessarily mean preaching, teaching, pulpit-type ministry, although a lot of that is the case, but some of the best people I've ever been taught from, I'm not talking about spiritual leaders, I'm just people, some of the best lessons I've been taught are people that taught me one-on-one. -on -one. A good mentor knows how to teach, would you not agree? Matter of fact, if there was something I really wanted to learn, let's say I was just not, uh, by the way, some of you have been hunting a lot. I've still never gone hunting my whole life. Been into sports, not sportsmen stuff. I don't really care about fishing. I don't really care about hunting. But if I ever were to go, I'd rather go with someone who could teach me and actually knows what they're doing. And I really don't need a pulpit ministry to teach me that. I could just go with them, apprentice, if you will. And so uh, any elder apt to teach can also be in a smaller setting. It does not have to be some, and we'll look at where we can know that this is true. Say, are you? Are, is that reading into it, or is there scripture that, yes, we'll take a look in just a second. But apt to teach is important, but it doesn't necessarily mean pulpit-type ministry. Uh, all the elders should be able to disciple, convey truth, one-on-one, -on -one, one to few, and then maybe beyond that. But imparting essentials of the faith is absolutely imperative for any elder. They would be able to impart, they would actually know doctrine. We understand that that's very spelled out, that the doctrine is understood by elders. They have mature understanding of what is true and what is not true, what is essential and what are not essential to the faith. I mean, we, we don't, that's why you don't get into dumb arguments. Like, it's not that important. Uh, you know, somebody says, well, and I think that um, it, you know, if this church is going to do it right, we should be passing our offer, offering plate. There's no scripture in, that says that. That's not an essential of the faith. You could have a box, you could have an offering plate, you could have a basket. Uh, I suppose you could have a little hoop, you could shoot it in there, whatever it is. You know, that, uh, that's probably not a good idea. But you get my idea. You get the, uh, the fact is there's th some things that are essential and there's some things that are not essential. Now, some uh, elders are gifted teachers with gifts of teaching, some elders, all elders have to be apt to teach at some level, but not necessarily have the gift of teaching and not necessarily a pastor. Turn left in your Bible uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and this is the scripture that points this out. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Now, Paul is speaking to a pastor, Timothy, but he's talking about elders, plural, and he says to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule, in other words, not rule like a king, but oversight, man, all it really means there is manage, those who manage well. Those who rule be counted of, worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine, especially those, meaning that some of the elders don't. 
most, some of the, he's saying that some of the elders' function is not day in and day out word and doctrine, which is a, pastors, they labor continually word and doctrine, but a lot of elders that still would be very important or pillars in a church are not necessarily laboring day in and day out. They could have other vocations. All three of our other elders, one works at a bank, one's a medical doctor, one's a program manager. All of them have other vocations, but they don't labor day in and day out. In doc now, they are apt to teach. They know doctrine, but that doesn't mean they labor continually in word and doctrine. Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, hey, we need to do that. And all these other tasks, and that's where it gets into deacons as well. We'll take a brief look at that as well. Now, that's pastor. There's also this title. Now, I'm going through titles that are leadership as far as elder. They're under the umbrella of elders or pastors, teachers uh, in that mix. Uh, but um, the next three are all related to elders per se. But teachers, in most cases, are going to be, if they're teaching the body, in most cases, uh, they're going to be within elders, but not necessarily. You could have teachers that are actually not elders. You get people that are very gifted in teaching, and for whatever reason, they're not serving as an elder. Uh, in, in, in our church and other churches, you might have a deacon that's really gifted in teaching. So they may be a teacher, not a pastor, and not even an elder, but still uh, they have a gift of teaching. So even though oftentimes teachers are in that elder group, not necessarily. You could have someone who really is gifted. They are able to teach. They've got other demands and, you know, uh, to their life, but they can teach, and uh, they're sound. And uh, you know, Stephen stood up and probably gave one of the best messages in the whole Bible, right? He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't serving as an elder at the time. He was more deacon-like, if anything. But uh, had he remained on the earth, I think he probably would have gone on to become uh, elder, pastor, but the Lord took him. But he was already gifted uh, in teaching. But it's very important. You can see the definition there. Um, moving on. The next three, each of these, I get the glasses on. The next three, elder, bishop, and overseer. Uh, you'll see that the Greek term is very similar for all three. Episcopo, Episcopo, so, uh, Episcopo, whatever, <laughs> the last one. <laughs> uh, they're so close that I get them mixed up if I'm saying them in a row. But um, so elder, bishop, and overseer, um, each one very similar. These terms are interchangeable, but even though they're interchangeable, they have different distinctions. Each one of them, you know, sometimes the apostles, you know, Paul will say bishop, sometimes he'll say elder, sometimes overseer. But they're very similar terms. Uh, the main thing to understand with which e each of them, the primary focus, if you notice in the definitions, and these are uh, the definitions of the original Greek word, uh, I've pared them down a little bit, they're actually a little longer than that. Uh, the, the, by the way, the original core word of elder means older, <laughs> right? <laughs> Elder means older. That's really deep, right? Uh, more mature. Uh, what it meant is to the ancient world, 
people that were aged had experience and maturity. And it was understood that the elder people among anywhere in the ancient world, that the elders had wisdom. There was life learning. There was maturity. There was experience. Now, in the Christian understanding, it, it goes beyond that because now the Holy Spirit, they have spiritual maturity, not just life experience maturity, but spiritual maturity. So the core, that original understanding of elders still always fits in because God, you remember, it's God breathed divinely spoken. So the word elder is chosen from the Holy Spirit from the beginning to always speak to spiritual maturity. So that core doesn't go away, but then the other things amplify it. And the other things that are important to understand is in all these definitions of whether you're speaking elder, bishop, or overseer, and though they're interchangeable terms, uh, each one of them speak to oversight. <laughs> oversight. That there would be an understanding of what, what is going on. There would be uh, awareness. Each one of them. Now, they do have, again, different um, nuances, and that's why they are used at different times. And you can usually tell by the context of something. Uh, some of the things as far as th there's what we see definitively in Scripture about church order. And I, I, when I meet with pastors of other denominations, we are Calvary chapels are technically non-denominational. We are, and yet I feel like we have some very, we have some denominational norms too, uh, I, uh, the way I see it. But nevertheless, when I meet with pastors of other denominations, um, a lot of times we'll have full agreement on how elders and pastors and leadership is chosen, but there'll be differences of, you know, some people have a bishop that oversees a couple churches, right? And so you have differences in, in how that is, you know, kind of worked out and how it is... Um, understood or in practice. And there's really nothing wrong with it because some things God did kind of leave up to preferences or uh, the way people are built or the way uh, some man of God at some point in 1400s or 1700s. And now if you get too wrapped up in those things, now you're following the traditions of men. But if you understand that they're not essentials, then you can actually have good fellowship and not, you know, have major disagreements about things like that. We'll say, you know, this should be the order, it should go this, this, this. But we see that these terms all apply to the main core thing of maturity, spiritual maturity, and oversight. So if you decided to say, well, we call elders elders, a bishop is someone that actually oversees a couple of different pastors and had to have been a pastor and still is, you know, you know that makes sense? Um, we don't have that, although we kind of not in hierarchy, but we do have some, you know, in Calvary Chapels, we have, uh, we have regions, and uh, then we have a, a regional pastor who is someone recognized as very mature, and, you know, in our case, Troy's been in ministry, you know, probably three times as long as I have. He, he's going um, with Lynchburg, you know, we'll be going to Israel with, with Calvary Lynchburg, and Troy has been in ministry about 30 years. I've been in ministry about as far as a pastor role, I've been a minister about 12, 13. He's been like 30. So now other ministry, I've been more like 20, if you add other years. But, uh, you know, he's not over the pastors in our region from an authority standpoint, like he doesn't tell his what you need to do. But we do submit to his authority in the sense that when he gathers, he kind of 
heads the meeting up. He sets the agenda. Does that make sense? So there's a submission of, of authority there, but he's not, you know, we're still an autonomous fellowship. And so, but even if you, you, could, you could say Paul's an apostle, some could say, well, he also is kind of a bishop because he, he's actually putting people in charge of different churches. And these are actually pastors he's speaking of. So he's a pastor of pastors. That makes sense? And that's what some people would uh, look at that term. Uh, but you could, if someone called all their elders bishops, that would be okay as well. By definition of the actual Greek term, it would not be out of place to say, these are our seven bishops in the church. You could do that, and some, some might do that. And if you hear that, they're not out of bounds. It, it, it does mean essentially the same thing. So a lot of it's nomenclature or how people, how people internalize um, maybe words that they're more familiar with. John MacArthur, um, speaking of just church leadership and elders, he says this. He says, mistakenly, and I agree with what he says here, he says, mistakenly, many church leaders, and I, and I would add uh, this is mainly a problem of what people want because Paul says that people will heap up teachers for themselves. Remember, he writes that to Timothy. He said the day will come when they won't want sound doctrine, and when they don't want sound doctrine, they'll want something else. And so this is it's kind of a, is it the chicken or the egg? It, was, it, was it bad leadership or did the people uh, you know, really want bad leadership or did bad leadership make the people a certain way? Well, it's really hard to tell because the, Paul seems to write Timothy that they go hand in hand, that you have leaders that are off the rails, but you have people that want leaders that are off the rails. So he says this, he says, mistakenly many church leaders... Um, view their roles as that of promoter, businessman, executive, psychologist, entertainer, or president. But those roles contrast sharply with those specified in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, Paul uses eight different figures to depict faithful men who carry out the ministry. They were to be able teachers. Listen to this list. It's not a glamorous list. Able teachers, soldiers on active duty, athletes who compete according to the rules. Well, today's athletes are multimillionaires, so maybe that one is. Uh, hardworking farmers, not millionaires. Uh, careful workmen, useful vessels, which is nothing but like a clay jar, and bond servants. That's the list. He said none of those images are glamorous or self-aggrandizing. All of them exemplify diligent effort and self-sacrifice, and they are called, in 2 Timothy 3.17, man of God, which is a technical Old Testament title for those uh, or for one whose calling is to speak for God. So that is what the Lord, uh, if you get, again, look at those terms that Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, that is gives you a picture, a composite view of how God wants godly leadership to look like. And they're not glamorous roles. And the focus of these things, um, of these roles, that is, is to exemplify spiritual maturity, examples, oversight, protection, health, these kind of things. Not, uh, not to have big titles, 
massive salaries, right? Big followings, bestseller lists, and all the other. And again, not that some of those things, some of those things can just happen. But when you start to pursue those things, do you see the difference? It's one thing if, if you didn't care and those things, but if you're pursuing those things, then you're no longer really being the, fun this, is the this is the primary function. And we have tons of, uh, we have tons of people that are now in the ministry that don't really have a clue what's going on in their congregations. They're not really, they're not really invested in any way in oversight or, you know, that kind of thing. It's just all farmed out and let's just get experts for this and, you know, uh, they're better at marketing than they are at the word. And so that's, I think I agree with John uh, with what he says here. Now, the last one, as far as leadership, and again, we're not really diving into that, but deacons uh, are very important as well, because obviously when Paul writes to Timothy, he gives qualifications for elders, but he also gives qualifications for deacons, as well as, uh, you know, he still talks about deacons' wives uh, as well, so, uh, which we won't uh, get into that uh, either, but... Um, but the deacon role, very important because you have tangible things, and we, this goes back to Acts chapter 6, that you know, whether it was food that needed to be served or whether it is ministry uh, that need to be you know, taken care of from a practical standpoint, that deacons would be able to, really what you could kind of uh, equate a deacon to was someone who is waiting tables. You, know, you might have the manager of the restaurant hey, be here, be here, be here, and they would be, hey, making sure that everything is served, everything's in place. And that really is a, a pretty good understanding of that role. Uh, but again, there's, uh, given that elders, or Paul calls them bond servants, neither one are glamorous, uh, but they are to be uh, humility-based and leader, uh, as far as examples in spiritual maturity, and then really have uh, a love for God to have the right oversight, to have the right um, perspective of what's going on within the body of Christ. Now, uh, Timothy, Titus and Timothy, you know, both, uh, we talked about that both letters to Timothy as well as Titus, they're called the pastoral epistles. Uh, and even though they're pastoral because they're written to two pastors, and again, all pastors are elders, but not all elders are pastors, but those two gentlemen... Timothy and Titus were pastors, and they were elders. So that's why they're called pastoral epistles, uh, because they were also pastors, and they were also men that, that taught congregations and, and, um, and trained others to teach, uh, in addition to other things uh, that, that elders would do. But Titus, uh, this book that we're looking at, it leans more to overall leadership and stability, Leans. Uh, there's overlap. Don't you know? Again, both these books definitely talk about pastoring and shepherding. But if if you were kind of looking at, wit, they, they're not exactly the same because Timothy is tilted toward pastoring and Titus is tilted toward kind of leadership stability. And then there's mixes of both. That makes sense. So with Titus, uh, you you could definitely find a little more in Titus. You know, some of those other elder roles. Although Timothy mentions, and we already looked at 517, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. So Paul makes that distinction that there could be uh, very uh, gifted and humble servant elders that are not primarily focused on teaching, but other aspects of oversight uh, within the ministry. But again, that one it just gives you a little idea of 
Uh, Timothy tilts more to the shepherding, pastoring, teaching. Now let's take uh, our last few minutes looking at the character and qualifications that Paul outlines for Titus and Timothy. And you saw we read through this list. Um, I don't, I'm not going to reread through it, but it starts in, uh, it starts in verse 6. It starts with, a, if a man is blameless, he has to be the husband of one wife. He can't have multiple wives. And that was not unusual in the ancient world. You know, it's, there's still parts of the world that this still takes place. But and if you read the Bible, sometimes you probably, in a whole other discussion, you probably, first time you read it, you got kind of confused. Like, is Solomon allowed to do this? Is David allowed? You know, you've read the Old Testament. Is this, is this okay? You know, that kind of thing. And so uh, it was not that uncommon in the ancient world. And, but it, uh, in, the, in the New Testament church, as people would come to faith, elders had to be the, uh, had to be the husband of one wife. They couldn't have multiple wives and then uh you know there's then there's di dis there may be some there is some disagreement about could a person be previously divorced i personally believe that if their divorce was prior to salvation that they could definitely still serve as an elder but i believe that the divorce comes after salvation i personally believe that's a disqualifying thing because i think and we talked about the principle of duality at times this is a verse that's that speaks to duality one polygamy, but two, divorce, and then jumping right back in, hey, I'm going to be pastor and elder again. I just divorced my wife, and I'm going to take... I believe it speaks to both. It's a both and, not a one or the other. And I, I believe that Paul's readers understood that in context as well. Now, let's take a look at these um, qualifications. Get your speed reading ready. Go, quick. Yeah, read all these um, as they're coming up. You get them all? Memorize them? All right, I'll raise them. You've got to see. got to remember each and every one of them. No, uh, we're not going to go through every one of them. We don't have that kind of time. I'm going to wrap up in just a couple minutes here anyway. But I do want to, uh, when I pull Timothy in just a second, this is the list that we just read. And when you list it out, it, it looks longer than it does in your text. But uh, there's, quite a bit, there's quite a bit there. Uh, when it says blameless, it means also above reproach, uh, that... that uh, when people look at your life, uh, as best they can tell, it's above reproach. There's not any stain that people look at and say, that specific just sin issue. Or every time I look at that person, I, I, I'm remembering this particular, uh, you know, just kind of bad character in their life. You know, you have to have uh, good character. Uh, there can't be any known sin. But we look at these other things, husband and one wife. I know that it's not popular today that, that pastors are supposed to be men. Um, I know that that's, you know, more and more people kind of look at that and say, I, I don't think that really means that in Scripture and all that good stuff. But the problem is uh, it says husband of one wife. It doesn't say, you know, wife of one husband. Um, and even though it, this has nothing to do with ability, uh, I tell people all the time, uh, you know, my wife, and by the way, women can be really gifted teachers. Better gifting than many men. Uh, no question about it. That's not what God is talking God never cares about uh, things like that. There is a role. Uh, even in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has a role. God the Father has a role. And God the Son has a role. And they're equals. But they each um, complement each other in those roles. The Son would pray to the Father. There's the submission there. So uh, it has nothing to do with ability. 
Uh, it just is the way that God has designed as far as role goes. Um, many uh, women do deaconess work, and, for the, for, and, and from a teaching perspective, uh, they would even do pastoring and shepherding work. Like My wife certainly does that within ladies' ministry. She sure, certainly does uh, shepherdess work within, uh, within the um, ladies' ministry, uh, certainly within our home with our own girls. And so uh, it has nothing to do with ability. Um, you know, if every, if every man uh, all of a sudden were gone, there's a lot of women that could step in and do a fantastic job. But... Now, notwithstanding, God, uh, the way he's designed the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's patriarchal. And when it comes to pastoral, um, when it comes to elder, uh, in the named title realm, not so much in uh, the, the ability and function, because again, deaconess, shepherdess, uh, and, and by the same token, we have many men in this church that are not elders or deacons, that do great deacon work, and in some case, even elder-type work, but without the title. Uh, and trust me, you, if you really, really study the Bible, you would not want the titles of what comes with them in the Scriptures. Uh, but it's clear, uh, the, husband, the husband of one wife, and it has nothing to do with ability, it's, it's just God, uh, this is, he said, this is the structure, and if you follow it, I'll bless it and I'll, I'll honor it. Uh, I want to bring in just, uh, this is, you know, if you look at this list, uh, bring in Timothy's, and we'll combine the two, more speed reading for you, and, and then when we combine the two, I just want to show you a couple that overlap, where Paul writes to Timothy, and he writes to Titus, and so the ones that are in gold there are listed uh, twice, um, above reproach, and both. Husband and one wife, both. He reiterates that. And some people say, well, that's just the culture and understanding. No, because Paul goes, in other letters, he goes all the way back to Adam and Eve to establish uh, God's foundational uh, kind of structure. Uh, not addicted to wine, and both. Free from greed. Well, we know that's a problem in many ministries. Uh, and so greed and wine... And matter of fact, is sometimes you've seen, it's, it's sad where you've seen stories come out that minister so-and-so uh, was addicted to alcohol and had been embezzling money from the church, which is a double whammy because that is mentioned uh, in both uh, Timothy and Titus. Not confrontational. People that love confrontation are not to be elders. People that know how to be diplomatic but not confrontational. Before I got saved, I was confrontational, so I was not a qualified... My wife can attest to this. I was confrontational, so I was not a candidate. Matter of fact, I know for a fact, Trevor was confrontational. I don't know if about Russ was or not, but uh, you, know, um, you can't be that manner and serve in that capacity. Hospitables in both. If you find someone who is just complete... They have no hospitality whatsoever, you really got to wonder, what in the world are you doing in that role? You have no desire for hospitality, none. Hospitable is a must. It's not, it's not negotiable. It's an absolute must. Um, now, this Titus says exhort, and Timothy says able to teach. So I put them together because exhortation is kind of pre is your, more of your preaching is exhortation, and teaching 
is more of instruction, but they go hand in hand, and I believe that uh, there's overlap with that because doctrine is mentioned in both, and so doctrine is a teaching, you know, anytime you're communicating doctrine, it's a teaching, you know, able to teach, ex- exhort, they're there. Submissive children. If the pastor is running around and the elders are running around tracing their kids down constantly, then they're not going to be able to minister within the church. So uh, as far as elders and deacons goes. But all of that list, gentle. If you find someone who's just not gentle and they're, you know, uh, pastor, elder, you've got to wonder, why, why would you, where's the Holy Spirit working in your life? Gentleness should be there. All of these are important. And um, so Paul goes through this list that... Uh, uh, self-controlled, uh, all of these things, um, not violent. I think that, yeah, that one's in both, but not violent. Very, uh, very important that you don't have uh, some uh, pastor and elder who, our pastor and elder, they're great teachers, but they're violent. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, uh, it just doesn't have a good ring to it. You know, it's a, a great teacher, but um, that doesn't seem, to, that doesn't make sense, does it? But uh, as we come to a close here, um, it, what Paul, this, is a, this is a big list, and nobody could really do this without first being genuinely born again, the work of the Holy Spirit taking place actively in their life, because these things will, t- you know, you'll grow, no matter who you are as a believer, you'll grow in spiritual maturity wherever you're at. And your walk, you'll continue to grow in these things. Uh, but the baseline of these things should be evident. But you can become even more hospitable. But you should already, by the work of the Spirit, be hospitable. You, I, I believe I'm a better teacher today than I was 12 years ago. So apt to teach, but improving as well. Gentle, but even becoming more gentle because the mark is Jesus' gentleness, right? So if Jesus is this gentle and everybody else is a far cry from that, then everyone can mature in gentleness. And so anything on the list here uh, you can grow in, but there should be some baselines that the Bible says let your progress be evident to all, that people would be able to say, well, yes, you have always been gentle, but you're even more the longer I get to know you, and you grow in these things. And so I think, you know, if I look at, you know, men like Pastor Joe Foge or Pastor Chuck when he was still with us, uh, and I think they become more, Charles Stanley, I think they become more gracious over time, even though they were gracious 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so these things should continue to grow. Uh, But I'll close with this quote from A.W. Tozer, and I believe it's as true today as when he said it. He said, the most critical need of the church at this moment is men, bold men, free men. The church must seek in prayer and much humility. We're going to have a prayer meeting this Saturday night, by the way. Uh, The coming again of men made of the stuff which prophets and martyrs are made. You want a big title? Be a prophet or a martyr. (laughs) Most people aren't signing up for that, right? But if you had leaders that were willing to be a prophet or a martyr, and you study the lives of prophets and martyrs in the Bible, you would understand they were all humble people, and they were all submitted first to the Lord. So submission to people is not... Once you're submitted to Jesus, you can submit to people. People that have a big-time problem with, what about the, I don't like the Bible. They, they can't submit to God, so they can't submit to the rules of God, and they can't submit to the people within 
the family of God. But once you've submitted to God, all the rest of it's fine. Uh, I tell people sometimes, I joke around, I say, look, I would gladly, if, if God would let me at times, I would gladly just go be a servant with no title over working underneath 10 other guys or whatever, but God said, no, 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 this is what you must do, right? But God's seeking more men. In this church, because I believe that even in here, God has other men that he's going to raise up that are going to be deacons and perhaps elders. But even if there's no title, but they're going to do deacon-like work. They're going to do elder or mature. You know, we have the men, the senior class, many of the men that are in that group can do elder-like work within a realm, but they don't need a title, but still can do that work because God is still seeking men. And by the way, he's seeking women too. He's seeking the first people at the tomb were the women, right? The disciples were running scared because they need, there still needed to be some bold men. But that was the work of the Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes, and they became a lot more bold after that. So let's close in prayer. Hopefully this was beneficial to you. Uh, we will pick up with verse 10 next week. And we'll continue to move our way through. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can trust your word, uh, your structure. We know it'll be strong. Lord, we pray that uh, each and every one of us uh, without titles or anything, we would all grow in your peace and your love and gentleness in being hospitable. And Lord, all of these things, we, we know that uh, you modeled them, Jesus, to perfection. The rest of us fall woefully short. But we thank you for grace that you help us to continue to grow in them. And Lord, I pray that uh, we as a body of believers would just uh, all continue to be submissive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, in doing so, you're going to raise up laborers in the vineyard, whether they be elders, whether they be deacons, whether they be ladies, whether they be children's ministry, whatever it may be, Lord, we just uh, we thank you that you have given us the foundation of yourself as the chief cornerstone, and we pray that as we go throughout this year, we'll just continue to build on it wisely, but with humble prayer, as A.W. Tozer mentions here. And we thank you for this time and each person you brought out and those that are watching online. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.